Good morning. Adrienne mentioned a little earlier the fact that we are sheep of his pasture. I'd like to offer up uh, the 100th Psalm, which that's a, a quotation from, as our prayer of dedication for our time today. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Amen. That... Bear in mind those thoughts as we as we look at this passage today. Oh, to be the sheep of His pasture uh, as a part of this uh, this uh, study we're doing. We're continuing with our look at Exodus. Uh, we were blessed, all of us who were here last week, by having the opportunity to hear various members of our field staff share from their hearts and share from God's Word with us, and it was a fantastic time, a wonderful time of sharing and coming together and hearing from those, uh, those uh, folks who serve us in the field. Uh, this week we're going to come back into our journey through, uh, through Exodus. We're going to rejoin. Uh, remember that we were, uh, we've looked at the beginning of these miraculous events, these phenomenal events that uh, God used to extricate, to get his people away from the bondage of Egyptian captivity. So if you have a Bible with you, we're going to be looking at chapters 8 through 11 uh, of Exodus today. Uh, Just a short passage. Uh, uh, And uh, this amazing time. We're all, all excited by stories about great adventure and phenomenal things. I mean, look at the popularity of the Harry Potter stories. Uh, and or look at the look at the incredible uh, appeal that uh, C.S. Lewis's Tales of Narnia have. You know, these phenomenal stories filled with witchcraft and sorcery and magic and phenomenal things happening. Things which hopefully don't happen every day in our own backyards. Things which are a little bit different from our day-to-day experiences. Uh, and they capture our imagination and they get us excited and we love to read them and we love to watch them and, uh, and they're great escape from life and a uh, wonderful way to just to have a moment away from reality. And I think sometimes, unfortunately, that's how we also view lots of these historical aspects of the Old Testament. We look at them as great stories, great fun, For those of us who perhaps grew up in the church and have, since we were small children, heard these as stories, as things that we looked at in Sunday school, as pictures we colored and great phenomenal things, and they were great fun. They were a lot more fun than lots of the genealogies and and, and those things, These, these stories full of great events. Probably almost every one of us has seen the film, The Ten Commandments. And so we, we've been exposed to this, this text that we're looking at today in a, in a graphic and pictorial way. But unfortunately, I think we often lose sight of the fact that, that this is much deeper than just great history and magical events, perhaps the, you know, just stories that were told over time uh, because they were, they were great fun and exciting and they told about God's power and his might. They're much deeper than that. 
there's there I, I hope that we get a get in touch with who God really is through these stories. These are these are not just historical events. These are, in my perception of them, real things that happen to real people and are examples of, of the way God deals with his people. Let's take a look at the you know at, at the text here. Just for setting's sake, remember that uh, Moses and Aaron were commissioned by God to go to Pharaoh. Pharaoh is God on earth in the perception of the Egyptians. He himself is a deity. He is the spokesperson for God, and he has his own uh, prophets. The sorcerers that are referred to are, in fact, his prophets, the people who speak his word and carry out his actions. And Moses and Aaron are commissioned by God to go before the most powerful being on earth and plead for the release of the Israelite captives who are, who are living and have lived for generations under the bondage of, of the pharaohs. And so the first of the events that take place uh, was the, the, the magic events with the, the rods. Aaron casts down his staff and it becomes a snake. And the, uh, the pharaoh's magicians or prophets themselves cast down their rods and they become snakes. And so, so God, you know, how how come we can do everything you can do? Obviously, we serve the God, the true God of the universe. Pharaoh would be what the what the sorcerers would say. But remember that Aaron's rod devours the sorcerer's rods, the snakes. And then the next things that occurs is the the Nile, the heart blood, as it were, of Egypt is converted literally to blood or to some other red toxic substance, which is unfit to support any form of life. It, this, the Nile is essential to the existence of Egypt. The greatest event of the year is when the Nile reaches flood stage and fills all the lowlands with water and they're saturated and all the, the groundwater is replenished and all the soil is prepared for rebirth and for growth of crops. And the, the very, very heart of the Egyptian existence becomes toxic to them. And remember that, strangely enough, the sorcerers are commissioned to go out and do the same thing. And so they do. And they heap blood upon blood, toxicity upon toxicity. And that's what's happened to date. So seven days, starting in chapter 8, seven days passed after the Lord struck the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord says. Let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will plague your whole country with frogs. The Nile will teem with frogs. They will come up into your palace and your bedroom and onto your bed and into the houses of your officials and on your people and into your ovens and kneading troughs. The frogs will go up on you and your people and all your officials. Gross, huh? Frogs everywhere. Not just frogs hopping around, cute little hoppers jumping around. On the people. I mean, get the text. It describes that the frogs will be so plentiful that they'll be crawling up your legs. Yeah. I mean, little boys kind of like this kind of thing. They go and, you know, terrorize little girls with frogs. But this is way beyond that level. Now, let's, let, but let's take an aside into the culture of Egypt. Because in Egyptian society, frogs are cool. Frogs are special. Frogs are deified. Frogs are the symbol, the primary symbol of fertility. 
of the ability of the land to reproduce itself. So an abundance of frogs is actually a good thing. An abundance of frogs after the flood season is expected. If frogs do not come up out of the wetlands after the, after the wet season, that is, a bad, that is a bad omen that God will not bless them, that they will not have fertile crops, that they will not have replenishment of their livestock, and that the people themselves will not bear offspring. Therefore, frogs in abundance are good. But these frogs are so abundant <laughs> that a good thing has become a bad thing. This is like the little kid who goes to the brand new, newly filled jar of cookies and eats every last one of them. The first dozen were pretty good. The last couple of dozen were not such a good thing. And that's kind of what happens here. We have so many frogs that it's way beyond good. However, however, going on with the text, um, Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the streams and canals and ponds and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the land. But the magicians did the same things by their secret arts. They also made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So why do we think the, the magicians, Pharaoh's own uh, prophets, would have been skillful at conjuring up frogs or at least coming through with the illusion of conjuring up frogs? Probably because, think about it, Pharaoh is God on earth. If the frogs don't come up in the, in, after the flood season, then what does it suggest about Pharaoh? That somehow or other he's out of tune with the greater gods and that he is in disfavor. So he and his sorcerers have figured out how to conjure up frogs. This is speculation, but I think this is probably what happened. They figured out how to conjure up frogs, how to, make, how to probably hide them and get them to come up on the land uh, at their command, at their beck and call, so that Pharaoh would look good in the eyes of the people because frogs, again, are a symbol of God's favor and fertility. So they conjure up frogs. Now think about it. We already are overwhelmed with frogs. We have frogs crawling up our legs. We have frogs hopping out of our ovens. We have frog every time you open the pantry and open the flower container, there are frogs in the flower container. I mean, this is grim, bad stuff. So the sorcerers go out and they do what? Produce more frogs. They just heap frogs on frogs. Uh, but they succeed in their mission at this time. Uh, so Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people. Notice that the sorcerers apparently don't know how to get rid of frogs. They only know how to conjure up frogs. Um, for me and my people, and I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, I leave to you the honor <laughs> of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people that you and your houses may be rid of the frogs except for those that remain in the Nile. So what is Pharaoh? This is a strange thing. I, this was pointed out between services. Why, if, he's, if you're completely overwhelmed with frogs and covered with frogs and frogs are hopping all over everybody and everybody's pretty much upset, why would you say tomorrow? Why not now? Get rid of them now. I have no idea. Uh, but Pharaoh says tomorrow, setting the stage for God to do his work through his own prophets, through Moses and Aaron. 
Moses replied, it will be as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs will leave you and your houses, your officials and your people. They will remain only in the Nile. After Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh, Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs he had brought on Pharaoh. And the Lord did what Moses asked. The frogs died in the houses, in the courtyards, and in the fields. Get that he didn't vaporize the frogs. <laughs> the frogs croak, uh, as it were. Uh, they, they were pulled into, piled into heaps and the land reeked of them. So we have a whole new cottage industry springing up in Egypt. It's frog abatement. Uh, these guys, Fruffy, will come to your house and scoop the frogs out of, your, out of your kitchen and pile them up at the end of the cul-de-sac where dead amphibians in a tropical climate get, yeah, yeah, not pleasant. Uh, but when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said. So Pharaoh makes a promise again and again once there's relief from the thing that is plaguing them, the frogs, he says, no, you cannot leave. You are here. The next thing that happens then, because of Pharaoh's unwillingness to keep his promise to God, is gnats. We, have, we are plagued with gnats, probably literally either mosquitoes or fleas. The, the, text, the word is a little unclear, but it's small nasty, stinging, flying insects of some sort. And mosquitoes and fleas were both common to Egypt. Wet, moist, marshy environment. Uh, only there are so many of them that they, are, they cover everything and everybody. Um, and they are nasty and they're on the people and they're on the animals. And in verse 19, the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard. He wouldn't listen. Now, why did they say this is the finger of God? Because they couldn't conjure up gnats. Finally, the magicians, the sorcerers, are defeated. They were able to, to stick around through rods becoming snakes, water becoming blood, and uh, uh, frogs coming up out of the river in massive quantities. But they couldn't conjure up gnats. This was beyond them. And so the, the sorcerers have now had their eyes opened and they realize that the things that Moses and Aaron are doing have to be, cannot be anything but the work of God himself. Interesting, isn't it? They've seen the reality of things. But Pharaoh will not listen and he will not let the people go. So the next thing that happens, the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning and confront Pharaoh as he goes to the water and say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so that they may worship me. If you do not let my people go, I will send swarms. And, and the text suggests a swarming mixture of flies. It's not even like one homogenous group of flies. It's like all kinds that you can think of. Big ones, nasty ones, ones with the big eyes, the ones, ones with the furry bodies, mostly ones that bite. Uh, because that was what was most prevalent in Egypt, was apparently ones that bite, um, of flies on you and your officials, on your people and into your houses. The houses of Egyptians will be full of flies and even the ground where they are. So it's again this picture of even as you walk down the street, the flies are going to come up in swarms and swarm over you. 
Um, but I think one of the things that's critical here is that the Lord tells Moses to go confront Pharaoh. It's not a kindly gesture that he's suggesting. It's not a, a friendly conversation. It's go and confront him. He's been hard about everything so far, has not kept a single promise that he has made. You need to get right in his face and tell him that if he continues in his sinful pathway, this is what's going to happen. The next step in the process is going to be that the land will be filled with flies. Verse 22, but on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen. So there's a change in the process here too. Not only heretofore, and all the things we've seen so far, the, the plagues that have come upon Egypt have also afflicted the Israelites. Now God says, I will show one more step in the process. Pharaoh will not listen to me. I will send a plague that only afflicts Egyptians. The flies. And flies are, you know, we all know, flies are not discriminating creatures. Flies, are, flies tend to be pretty much indiscriminate. If you, will, if you are around a group of flies, the flies will bother you, pretty much without exception. In this case, the flies will only plague the Egyptians. So the land of Goshen is where the Israelites lived. Um, no swarms of flies will be there so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. Not only that I am Lord, not only that I am sovereign creator, but that I am even in this black, bleak, pagan place, that I am in the land. I have control and sovereignty over every single square inch of my creation. Period. End of story. Um, that I am in the land, I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This miraculous sign will occur tomorrow. And the Lord did this. Then swarms of flies come over the land. Going on to verse 26. Mo, you know, Pharaoh says, um, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, go sacrifice to your God here in the land. So, so Pharaoh says, okay, I'll relent. I won't let you leave but I will let you have your sacrifices. You can worship right here in the land of Egypt, right where you are. I see what a benevolent, what a righteous man I am. How, how wonderful am I? But Moses says in verse 26, that would not be right. The sacrifices we offer to the Lord, our God, would be detestable to the Egyptians. And if we offer sacrifices that are detestable in their eyes, will they not stone us? See, Moses understands some reality about Egyptian belief sets, their religious values, their practices. One of the things that's very significant to Egyptians is a deification of animals, all kinds of animals. Remember Rod talked a couple of weeks ago about how many gods they had. There were gods for everything. Well, there were gods for virtually every species of animal conceivable. Remember, frogs are sacred to these folks. Frogs are important. Well, everything else is too. So if the, if the Israelites were to slaughter a cow for sacrifice in front of the Egyptians, what they would be doing in effect was slapping the Egyptians' core religious beliefs in the face. They would be, it would be an affront. This lit, literally, the things that Moses warns about happened several hundred years later in Egypt where a group of Israelite settlers did offer animal sacrifice inside the village and the, the Egyptians in the village turned into a mob and attacked them, 
It's recorded historically that it really did happen. This was, not just a, this was not just a shallow comment, but the reality of it is that what God's mandate is, is that the Israelites are to leave Egypt and to populate their own country and develop a, a nation for God. And that's not what Pharaoh is offering. Pharaoh is offering a compromise. Stay here, make your sacrifices, be happy, worship your God, and continue to serve me at the same time. This is not what God commanded. So Pharaoh ultimately relents and we have the Pharaoh says, I will let you go to offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the desert, but you must not go very far. Now pray for me. So Moses prays and the flies are gone. And Pharaoh, of course, hardens his heart and does not let them go. The next one to come along is the plague on the livestock. Now, uh, this is a really, really interesting one also. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so that they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go and continue to hold them back, the hand of the Lord will bring a terrible plague on your livestock in the field, on your horses and donkeys and camels and on your cattle and sheep and goats. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and that of Egypt so that no animal belonging to the Israelites will die. Speculation suggests that the plague and, and the, the word used for plague is one that suggests defi- divine wrath, the wrath of God. It's, it's not little. This is not some little illness that comes over them. It's something huge. And the suggestion is that it was probably, if you want to have a real world, real life, true to, true to the way we live our lives explanation for how all of these things happen, that it was probably anthrax. Anthrax was common in the times and would, of course, decimate entire livestock species and, in fact, entire populations of livestock. It was greatly feared. The thing, that we, the thing that makes this really phenomenal, if that's true or whatever disease it may be or form of plague, is that if it in fact is anthrax, anthrax is not particularly selective. It's not likely to attack this herd of cattle here and ignore this herd of cattle here. This, this cluster of sheep here, but ignore this, these sheep here. It's not going to do that, and yet that's exactly what God mandates, is that Whatever it is, destroys the Egyptian livestock, but not the Israelite livestock. Again, God is proving his absolute power, his absolute control. Pharaoh continues to stand in the face of this kind of proof. Remember, his sorcerers, his own, his own prophets have already said, yeah, hand to God. <laughs> this is not us. We can't do this. No man can do this. This is God, and this is the God of the Israelites. This is a bigger God than, you know, this is what's what's between the lines. You can just just hear the the sorcerers probably getting together in the back room going, how exactly do we tell Pharaoh that we think the Israeli God is a bigger God than he is without losing our heads in the process? Because that's kind of what they're trying to begin to suggest. That seems to be what they're getting is that this God is bigger than us, bigger than the God we serve, bigger than you, Pharaoh. And uh, yet uh, Pharaoh will not listen. He will not relent. He stands firm and steadfast in his, his desire to hold on to the Israelites and he will do anything to get the 
the trouble gone while not giving up the Israelites, while not keeping his word. The next one that comes along in, in chapter 9, verse 8, and following from there, this thing called the plague of boils. This one's really nasty sounding because it moves from, you know, this, there's cycles of affliction. The affliction moves from something sort of global throughout, the, throughout the, the nation to something that gets very personal up close to something that is personal, something that attacks the people themselves. And this one moves from the, the attack and the assault upon the livestock, which are essential to their well-being and their life and also are sacred to the Egyptians, to now their persons. And they're afflicted with these open, painful sores. And their, their bodies are covered with them. And in verse 11, in fact, it says, The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils that were on them and on all the Egyptians. So it's, it's gone to the level where even the, the magicians themselves, not only can they not reproduce the trick, as it were, not only can they not, not match... Uh, miraculous event for miraculous event that's long since gone but now they themselves can't protect themselves from God's affliction the boils afflict the magicians themselves they are now unclean in the eyes of man and of God and cannot stand before Moses and they know that they you know this begins to suggest to me very clearly that they they understand that the God that Moses serves is the true God because they feel unclean and cannot stand before him as God's representative. The next one to come along is another one of the huge ones. There are a couple of these accounts that are very long. The frog account is long and full of rich detail. This next one, the account of hail, is long and full of rich detail. And I think that a lot of the detail comes out of this as a way almost of suggesting to us, if you really look at the text, that this is more than just a fancy story that was told over time. The detail is part of the rich tapestry of the story, and it, and it begins to allow us to see things which would have been culturally true only of the times. So they, they're not just tellings of tales over time, but they're telling of an event that occurred because it has detail that was specific to the time and place. And this one, the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning and confront Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord, the God of Hebrews says, let my people go so that they may worship me. Pharaoh should have heard this by now. He should be getting the point. Or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. Think about that. Think about being in the position of Pharaoh or his magicians and having Moses, who's now proven to be fairly credible in what he says. What he says will happen happens over and over and over again in ways that are so unimaginably horrible that they, they don't get the point until it does happen. And then they plead. Pharaoh pleads for relief. So now he has the same emissary standing before him saying that you haven't even begun to feel the wrath of God. I'm going to unleash the, you know, God will unleash his full wrath on you. Uh, think about how, in, how that would, what, what kind of intensity that would suggest. So in verse 15, for by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. I think what we see here is God's mercy. I think what we see here, folks, is that God was, was not being harsh or cruel with the Egyptians, with Pharaoh, 
What instead he was offering was an opportunity to repent. He was offering mercy. He was offering an opportunity to see a small glimpse of who he is, the power he wields, and why they should turn from their ways, why the Egyptians should turn from their ways and turn to the God of the Israelites. And he's saying, you know, I could have destroyed you in a, in a twinkling, in a moment. Instead, I've given you this opportunity upon opportunity upon opportunity to turn to me. But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. God is saying that repent and you are mine. Fail to repent, continue in your ways, and I will use this moment as a way of proving who I am and, and demonstrating that for all peoples for all time. And then goes on to say, you, sh- you still set yourself against my people and will not let them go. Therefore, at this time tomorrow, gives them a whole day, and here's why. I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen on Egypt from the day it was founded till now. And again, history tells us that this region, the Nile Valley region, can be beset by phenomenally intense hailstorms because of the weather weather patterns that that develop in this tropical environment in the valley that is the Nile. And that they actually, strange as it may seem, in this desert environment have historically had many huge, intense Hailstorms with very large hail. Uh, and so he's saying that, that this will be the worst one ever. This is bigger than the hundred-year storm. Uh, give an order now to bring your livestock and everything you have in the field to a place of shelter. He gives them another opportunity for mercy. He's saying, listen to God, listen to Yahweh. Do not continue to follow the 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 devious, deceitful leadership of Pharaoh. There's risk in this. Think about it. If you do what I'm saying, if you do what Moses is saying, you do what the God of the Israelites is saying, then you are probably doing something contrary to what Pharaoh is saying. But if you've, if you've, if you've seen and you believe, then follow my direction. Bring your livestock into a place of shelter because the hail will fall on every man and animal that has not been brought in and is still out in the field and they will die. Then in verse 20, those officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord, it says that some did in fact fear the word of the Lord. Some of them were reached by this message. Hurried to bring their slaves and their livestock inside, but those who ignored the word of the Lord left their slaves and livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky so that hail may fall all over Egypt on men and animals and on everything growing in the fields of Egypt. And when Moses stretched out his hand, the hail did fall and it does destroy all. Um, And it goes on later in the text to indicate that at this time that flax and barley were destroyed because they were in head and flax was in bloom, but wheat and spelt were not destroyed because they would ripen later. But they're in the ground. They're up. They're in the ground. It's important in just a second. The next plague, and I'm going to move through these next couple really quickly, is locust. Obviously, Pharaoh doesn't, doesn't obey, doesn't follow, doesn't listen, doesn't let the people go. The next to come along are locusts. Locusts are significant in order here because okay, livestock have been destroyed. 
water was polluted, livestock have been destroyed, flax and barley have been destroyed, wheat and spelt are now going to be eaten by the locust. Everything, everything that sustains the life in the practical, real sense is being destroyed systematically because Pharaoh will not relent and listen to the, to the word of God and do as he is, as was requested of him. And so Pharaoh's officials now down in chapter 10, verse 7, are saying, how long will this man be a snare to us? Let the people go. Come on, Pharaoh, let him out of here. It's time. This is way too much destruction. We don't need this. So that they may worship the Lord, their God. Do you not yet realize that Egypt is ruined? And, of course, he doesn't. But he says, I've been a sinner. Oh, please, Moses, I've been sinful. Please, 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 relieve the land and I'll let your people go. And these long dialogues take place and the, the wind comes up and blows the locust back out of the land. The locust came from the east, from the direction of what will be the promised land of the Israelites, are blown back away in that direction and Pharaoh's does not let them go. And the next one to come along is darkness. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky so the darkness will spread over Egypt. And it's a darkness that can be felt. I think that, you know, any of you think about the darkest place, the darkest time you've ever been, and physically where there's no light, period, anywhere. And there is a sense that you can actually reach out and touch the darkness, that it has substance, it's tangible. That's the kind of darkness that God was bringing on the land of Egypt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky and total darkness covered all Egypt for three days, not just for an hour, not just for two, but for three whole days. No one could see anyone else or leave his place for three days. Listen to this one, though. This is cool. Yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. This is, this is almost a complete deconstruct of creation. Remember at the beginning of creation in Genesis 1, what did God do? He created light. Created light. God is showing to the, to the Egyptians and to all of us that he has total control over his creation. From the beginning of, of creation to the end of time, he has total control, absolute sway over it. The Israelites live in light in the land of in the land of Egypt, in the land of their captivity, while the Israelites, or, or rather why the Egyptians, people who deify the sun, remember the, the most, most powerful of gods in the Egyptian hierarchy is the sun god, Ra, and they, they deify the sun, and the sun is taken away from them in total, no light whatsoever. And Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, Go worship the Lord. Even your women and children may go with you. He tried to, keep, he tried to send the men only previously. Only leave your flocks and herds behind. This guy does not get it. <laughs> he keeps trying to put conditions on God. And Moses, as God's emissary, has no part in it. Each of these could have been an easy step. Each of these could have been an easy moment. Okay, sure, that sounds good. We can get more animals. After all... You know, God destroyed all theirs. It would only be fair to leave them some animals. No, this is not what God said to do. God told Moses to instruct Pharaoh to let my people, and that meant all of my people, and that meant all that they needed to live their lives, to sustain their physical existences, and to continue their worship and praise, which includes animal sacrifice, 
let them go. And Pharaoh tries to keep placing conditions. And Moses said, you must allow us to have sacrifices and burnt offerings to present to the Lord our God. Our livestock too must go with us. Not a hoof is to be left behind. We have to use some of them in worshiping the Lord our God. And until we get there, we will not know what we are to use to worship the Lord. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he was not willing to let them go. Pharaoh said to Moses, get out of my sight. Make sure that you do not appear before me again. The day that you see my face, you will die. But as you say, Moses replied, I will never appear before you again. And the final plague is brought upon them. And the final plague, of course, we know is the, uh, the death of the firstborn throughout the land. Moses, Moses has appealed. God has appealed to Pharaoh and Pharaoh will not listen. Now, you know, what is, you know, how, do, how does this reaction really relate to us? You know, I think that one thing that I don't want us to lose in this process of looking at this passage is God's mercy, his intended plan of mercy for all people, all places. Um, the prophet Ezekiel said in uh, chapter 18, verse 32, For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. How many times did Pharaoh have an opportunity to turn to the Lord and survive and live? Not just, not, just, not just survive, but thrive. How many times did he refuse to do it? Um, in Romans, Paul makes this comment. It's in Romans 1, verses 18 and 19. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness since what may be known about God is plain to them. Did not God make it plain to Pharaoh what he wanted, who he was, and what his intentions were? He made it absolutely clear, so clear that even the sorcerers who had to have been totally sold out to the worship of Pharaoh saw the truth. And some of them turned. And because God has made it plain to them. So God has made it absolutely clear. And then in, um, in Acts at Pentecost, uh, Peter spoke to the crowd and he quotes the prophet Joel saying, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then later he says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and the times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And is that not what Egypt needed was a time of refreshing at this point? And Pharaoh hardens his heart and refuses to respond. In contrast, we have Moses who, after saying early on, I don't have the skill for this. I, I don't know how to talk to people. I'm not, I'm not the right man for the job. And God says, yes, you are. And, and he says, have courage, be brave, be bold. Listen to what I say and do my will. And you will be greatly blessed I will be glorified and people will come to know who I am throughout not just your generation, but through all generations because of your willingness, your bravery, your courage, your desire to seek my face and to follow my word. There's a completely different perspective on how we respond to God that comes out of Moses. And, and I guess the, the, the final thing I want to talk about today is how do we take this this magical, phenomenal, historical passage and say that it applies to our world today. 
suggests that what we need to be is like Moses. We need to be willing to listen to God's voice, to be brave enough to follow what he says, to, to do it in the big things and the little things of life, to pursue and seek God's face in, in all the things of our lives. Um, I, uh, I have to confess that sometimes I take wisdom and counsel from fortune cookies. Um, I have one right there. Uh, this one happens to say, your courage will guide your future. Uh, and I think that that says an awful lot about what this passage had to say today, uh, is that Moses' courage guided the future of not just himself and not just the people in his immediate connection, but uh, all of us through history, through time, as we, we see the might and the power and the majesty of God and the completeness of his plan, how his creation was carried out and is complete in all things. And I, I, I want to just have us leave here today, hopefully take away a little piece of that and say, you know, God, give me the courage to seek out your face and to do your will, regardless of whether it's easy or hard, regardless of whether it's a, in a difficult situation or whether it's in a big thing or a little thing. But give me the courage to seek out your face and to do your will in the face of the great opposition that may face me from, from day in and day out. In, in face of Pharaoh, in face of uh, tremendous odds against what's, you know, what would seem to be your will for me, give me, the, give me the desire to seek you and to follow you and to realize that all I do in life is worship. All I do in life is, is for your glory, O oh Lord. That's, that's what I would like to see us walk away from this, this great passage out of Exodus with. Let's pray together. Lord God, we just thank you for your word and for the, the wonder and the majesty of it. And thank you that uh, we've had a chance to gather here today to share it, to uh, perhaps take a piece of it away and use it this day. So Lord, just bless our time the rest of this day with your word. In Jesus' name, amen.